0: Friends, let's come to the Lord in prayer as we prepare to examine His Word. Let us pray. Father, we want to ask that You will open up Your Scriptures for us, that the truths that are contained within would come to not only take root in our heads, but also be applied in our lives. And so, Lord, may You make clear Your Word for us today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing, Lord, to you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you suddenly became very wealthy overnight, imagine that you just suddenly uh, got a lot of money. Either you, you, had a, you came to an inheritance or some random African prince wrote an email to you and just gave you a load of money for whatever reason. Would that be a positive or negative thing for you? If you suddenly got a lot of money, would that be a positive or a negative thing for you? Now, I think most of us would say that becoming wealthy would be a good thing. In fact, I think all of us would say that, that it's a good thing. In fact, maybe this isn't the first time that you have dreamt about something like this before. Suddenly striking the lottery or suddenly uh, somebody just gives you so much money, some random stranger that you become uh, uh, a millionaire of some sort. And So you, what can you do with all that money? You can pay off loans, you, can, uh, you, you don't need to worry about bills, you can provide for your family, you can give them the best education possible for your children, uh, you can buy a nice house, you can buy a nice car, uh, you can have all sorts of nice things, you can give to church, you can help those in need, there's so many things that you can do with that money. I don't think that any of us would say that suddenly becoming very wealthy is a bad thing. But today's passage shows us otherwise or rather that it is possible for uh, being wealthy to not always be a good thing. And the big idea of my message today is that wealth can be a blessing or a curse depending on its purpose and position in your life. Let me repeat that. Can be a blessing or a curse depending on its purpose and position in your life. And so this is the takeaway point for today. If you forget everything, remember this wealth can be a blessing or a curse depending on its purpose and position in your life. Now, last week we looked at King Solomon's wisdom. We saw how he asked for wisdom, but God said, Okay, fine, since you didn't didn't ask for for riches and for power, I will give you that on top of the wisdom that you ask for. Uh, today we're looking at Ecclesiastes, which is a wisdom book, uh, one of the books considered wisdom, uh, wisdom literature in the Bible. It's not a very popular book. Most people know it for chapter 3, because it's usually preached at Night covenant services or at funerals. Uh, there is the whole passage on uh, the, a time for this, a time for that. Uh, time to laugh, uh, time to mourn, uh, time to you know all sorts of things, uh, but other than that chapter we usually we don 't hear much of Ecclesiastes now, although the author of Ecclesiastes is not clear, uh, he refers to himself as the preacher, uh, but most believe that it is Solomon from his older days, okay so uh, we are going to assume that it is King Solomon who wrote this in his older days. Uh, after he had experienced so many things in life. Now this book Ecclesiastes is like a scientific journal of wisdom. There's a statement of observations made summed up in a conclusion again and again and again. So he would say that uh, I observed this, I saw this and I noticed this and then he would put a conclusion and my conclusion is Uh, that everything is meaningless or I saw that it was a Vanity uh, striving after the wind and that sort of thing Two major conclusions that this book makes one. I've already mentioned it Uh, this whole theme of everything under the Sun is meaningless Uh, Especially everything that people spend their lives chasing and so you will constantly come uh, across this statement, everything under the sun, uh, I saw that it was blah 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 blah, under the sun, it is meaningless. And so under the sun, this phrase under the sun refers to the human experience of this life. In other words, anything that we experience under this sun, okay, on this earth, uh, in, in terms of our human experience, all that we experience as humans under the sun. And this does not include everything that is beyond this earth, which we will uh, come to. So, that's the first major conclusion, that everything under the sun is meaningless. Everything on this earth as it is, uh, the human experience, limited human experience in this earth is meaningless. The second conclusion that he makes at the very end of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 12, verse 13, So basically, the entire book he's saying, is meaningless, it's meaningless, it's meaningless. Uh, At the end, he says, and so he concludes, fear God and keep his commandments. Uh, He says, remember your creator, Uh, fear God and keep his commandments. And so, Solomon is not promoting nihilism, okay, the philosophy that, you know, nothing has any meaning and so whatever you do, there's no point to it. He's not promoting that. He's not saying that really there is zero meaning in life. Uh, Whether you live or die, it doesn't matter. He's not saying that. Rather, he is pointing out the foolishness of living purely for things under the sun. Meaning, living purely for human experiences in this life without counting eternity, without counting Uh, things of God and that's why his conclusion is fear God and keep his commandments or else everything else that you are going to experience in this world under the sun is meaningless. Uh, One of the things that he observes and writes about is the subject of wealth. I mentioned this last week Solomon had uh, 18,125 kilograms of gold per year from tribute alone, so the people around him, uh, the nations around him, because Israel was the world power, uh, or rather the, the the that area's power at that time. Uh, they would give him gold. Okay, they would give him gifts every year, uh, gold weighing eighteen thousand one hundred and twenty-five. Kilograms. And using Malaysia's gold conversion rate, uh, which I looked up, I, I hope I, I'm reading this right, uh, it's about 237,000 ringgit per kg. Uh, and so that would be worth, just for a rough estimation, uh, 4.2 billion, roughly. 4,295,625,000 uh, ringgit. Okay, 4.2 billion ringgit. Today. So imagine every year, just from the gold that other countries gave him, Solomon would get 4.2 billion ringgit per year. Okay. And uh, back then it, it okay, back then the, the whole currency conversion thing is totally different. Anyway, he he got a lot, okay? He he was a very wealthy person. All his cups were gold, the Bible tells us his mugs were gold. Uh, His household articles in his palace were also gold, so can you imagine a tissue box that is gold, made of solid gold, Uh, solid gold dustbin, uh, solid gold bowl, all sorts of solid gold things. And nothing was made of silver, even though everything was made of gold, nothing was made of silver because it was considered too worthless, too little value uh, in Solomon's days. The the Bible says that silver was as common as stones. That was the value of silver back then, uh, because that's how rich he was. And so, if anybody is qualified to talk about wealth and the effects of wealth, it would be Solomon. Now, before I go further, I need to qualify the difference between wealth and money, because in today's sermon, we're going to look at this whole subject of wealth, uh, but not necessarily everything that we're going to cover is talking about money directly now money in itself is just a currency of exchange for all sorts of things and so you can use money for all sorts of things like necessities okay you can use money to buy necessities you can use money to buy food to to buy rent okay to to have a place to stay to buy a house uh, to to buy healthcare medical treatment uh, to buy basic education all the necessities You can use money to buy that. And when it comes to necessities, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34, God promises to provide for what we need. You know, He says, Don't worry. Uh, By worrying, can you add an hour to your life? Uh, Even the the birds of the field, the flowers of the field, uh, He provides for them. So, how much more will He provide for us? And so when it comes to our necessities, we have that promise that God will provide for us. Okay, so I just want you to stick that in your brain right now, uh, that where we're talking about getting by, being able to provide for what is necessary, God will do that. Okay, he has promised now, money is not just used for necessities, necessities, it can also be used to exchange for non-necessities. Okay? So, things like premium things, uh, things like holidays, things like other luxuries. So, things that are nice to have but not necessarily need to have. And God doesn't promise us these things, nor does He promise us the money to buy them. Wealth, on the other hand, is having an excess of money. Uh, In in, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, the the Hebrew word for wealth literally refers to a sound, uh, a murmur, a a roar, a crowd. It's like so it gives you this mental imagery of rain uh, or a huge crowd of people or an army, this murmuring roar. Uh, That is what wealth. Uh, the the Hebrew word for wealth is, and so it's really talking about just having a lot, a lot, a lot until it becomes this murmur or this roar, uh, collection of things that come together. And so when you talk about wealth today, uh, we are not just talking about trying to make ends meet. Okay, we're not just talking about trying to survive, trying to put food on the table, trying to. Uh, put clothes on the backs of your children, not that sort of thing. We're talking about gaining access. We're talking about more than what is absolutely necessary. Now, Also, the topic of wealth is not necessarily only for those who have a, a huge bank account or lots of assets. Okay, So we, when we talk about wealth, it's not just about people who are already considered wealthy. This topic of wealth is also for those who have the attitude and the mindset that chases after wealth, those who live for the pursuit of wealth, or as verse 10 puts it, those who love money. And so even if you don't consider yourself wealthy, but that is your life's goal and that is your life's dream and that's what you do day in and day out, uh, trying to become wealthy, then today's sermon also uh, is talking about that. So... For those who said, at the beginning of this sermon, for those who said, becoming very wealthy would be a positive thing, good news! (laughs) Wealth can be a blessing. Uh, And so, there is... Okay, today, nowadays, there is no shortage of books, no shortage of churches out there that will tell you that God can bless you to be wealthy. Uh, You just need to... Do a quick Google or YouTube search, Uh, God wants to bless you, (laughs) okay? or uh, uh, God can make you rich, or whatever, you just search those and boom, all sorts of results will come out. But I want to distinguish between the truth of wealth as a gift from God and the false teaching that wealth is a guarantee or a promise from God. Or even that it should be expected in exchange for faith or holiness or good deeds. Wealth as a blessing isn't something that we can earn from God by believing or behaving a certain way. Okay, so let's get that. Let's get this straight uh, right now. It's. there there is no guarantee that you can be wealthy by behaving well or by being holy or by just having enough faith unlike the teachings of the prosperity gospel we have zero claim over wealth remember god promises to provide what we need not excess necessarily the prosperity that is promised throughout the old testament is a covenantal agreement made with the nation of Israel and Mount Sinai. Remember that covenant of blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. And it was made to the nation of Israel in general. Okay, so that doesn't directly apply to us. Instead, wealth is purely a gift from God. And not just wealth, but the ability to enjoy wealth. To enjoy what we have, to be happy in our work, to be glad in heart, These are things that we cannot get get from wealth uh, by its own. Wealth doesn't bring us these things. And we cannot work towards being happy, uh, enjoying what we have, being glad in heart purely by amassing wealth for ourselves. God, purely by His grace, gives these things to us. And so if God gives you wealth, if God gives you the ability to enjoy wealth, If God gives you uh, the ability to be happy in your work, to be glad in heart, be thankful. If God doesn't give you wealth uh, and the ability to enjoy wealth, also be thankful. Because wealth is not always positive, as we shall see later. But be thankful for the things that you do have. Be thankful for knowing God, having salvation. Uh, breathing the breath that God gives you and of course the provision that God gives you, uh, your necessities. There are always things to be thankful for. Now of course it is not wrong to be wealthy. Okay, uh, Before you misunderstand, I am not shooting any of the wealthy people uh, around us. It's not wrong to be wealthy. If God has blessed you with much, there's no need to feel guilty. Many exemplary Bible characters were considered wealthy, like Abraham or uh, Joseph, Job, uh, many many more. And money on its own is morally neutral, okay? just like technology, it depends on how you use it. Uh, it depends on the motives behind how you use it. And so if you can be wealthy and you can be a, a humble, loving disciple of Jesus Christ, then great! That is a winning combination. Now, if you have been blessed with wealth, according to statistics, you are in the minority. And that puts you in a very good position to bless others. So I just want to say that we're thankful for the, the generosity of so many who give to those in need uh, in our church and through our church. Uh, as a church, nothing that we do is for profit. Okay, So, in case you didn't know, uh, we don't have a steady flow of revenue from some business. Uh, we cannot project and say, oh, we are gonna, we're guaranteed this much uh, forecasted out of our profits. Uh, and that means that every time our church helps others, it is really coming from the generosity of people who make up the church, people like you. And so, for those who have been giving generously, On behalf of the church and those who receive the help as a result thank you and i i praise god for you if you have been blessed with wealth especially during a time when when so many are struggling financially i encourage you to likewise be a blessing Uh, not because you're earning anything in return or because you're you're trying to earn your way into god's good books or to look good in front of others, not that kind of thing, but simply because you love God and because you are thankful for what God has done for you, how He has blessed you. And so that would be one of the good purposes that your wealth can have, one of the good ways in which you can use your wealth to bless others as how you have been blessed. And good news for the majority, if you are not wealthy, uh, the majority. Uh, It's also not wrong to not be wealthy. I know, it's wow, mind blown. It's not wrong to not be wealthy. Yes, there is pressure from the world's values, there is pressure from friends, pressure from family, especially if you come from a Chinese family. The Chinese culture is very wealth uh, oriented, wealth is very very highly valued. Uh, But remember that we belong to an upside-down kingdom, the kingdom of God. In God's kingdom, even the poor are considered blessed. And of course, I think there is no greater encouragement for those who don't consider themselves wealthy uh, than to be able to identify with Jesus, who was not considered wealthy at all. And I think if the perfect man who we're all called to emulate, didn't spend his life being wealthy, in terms of money at least, I think it should bring us some perspective on what to value in this life. And so wealth can be a blessing. However, it can also be a curse. According to Solomon's observations, wealth can also be a curse. You may think, okay, Solomon, rich guy, obscenely rich, Uh, Of course he got problems, uh. but Solomon's wisdom isn't just from his own personal experience. It wasn't just his own uh, going through his his own obscenely rich life and then seeing the effects of it. Uh, That was part of it, but he also observed others. And so what he observed was that when money stops becoming a part of life and it becomes life, then life starts, when life starts revolving around money, whether it's making more money or keeping more money, that's when wealth or the pursuit of wealth becomes a curse. That's when all the negative effects come. In, in verses 10 to 17 of, of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon observes several grievous evils that wealth brings. And first is that wealth can bring trouble. Okay. Uh, also known as first-world problems today. Uh, If you are wealthy, it can bring worries. Uh, Verse 13 talks about how wealth that is hoarded to the harm of its owners, people who keep their wealth to their own detriment. And so that can talk about uh, worrying about how to preserve their wealth or how to keep it safe. From thieves, or how to make sure that they don't make losses. Uh, so these are worries that only the the wealthy have. And also, wealth brings trouble in the form of gluttony. Now, in verse twelve, uh, it talks about those who labor; they enjoy their sleep, but the the rich can't sleep because of their abundance. Why? Uh, because I thought. It's because of the fear that uh, people would steal their wealth. Okay, so that's why they cannot sleep. And while that is true, uh, as we saw just now, actually the Hebrew word for abundance in this verse here, in verse twelve, this Hebrew word for abundance is actually talking about full stomach. Okay, being very, very, uh, very satiated, uh, very full. Okay, and so it's actually I I, I think that it's actually talking about having uh, a very full stomach, eating so full until you cannot sleep. Okay, I don't know how many of you have experienced that when you ate too much and then you indigestion or gas or whatever, you cannot sleep. Uh, and so, o- only the wealthy have problems like that. Uh, and that is part of gluttony. That's the principle of verse 10. That those who love wealth uh, never have enough. Those who love those who love money uh, never have enough income, they are not satisfied with their income. Now, wealth can also bring false security and false hope. One of the key phrases throughout ecclesiastes is this chasing after the wind or toiling for the wind, working for the wind, working hard uh, for the wind. Now, why why wind? Wind is transitory. Okay, it blows, it, it, it comes. And it goes okay so when when you're enjoying a cool breeze it is although it may be constant it is not the same wind <laughs> okay uh, so just just imagine the wind as a wind particle lah, okay so uh, uh, a steady breeze is actually many 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 wind particles passing by okay and so wind doesn't stay in one place it whoosh, It's gone. And you cannot keep it, you cannot store it, you can't bottle uh, wind. And so the amount of effort that is placed in generating wealth can be potentially vastly disproportionate to its ability to stay in our possession. The amount of effort that we put into making wealth uh, can be uh, very, very different from the, the, our ability to keep it. okay. So, you think about it, people can sacrifice their health, they can sacrifice their family, they can sacrifice their integrity and so much more in order to make money and we know that a lot of people do that. They make those sacrifices for the sake of making money. And all it takes is a bad investment or a, a corrupt partner that causes all the company's assets to be seized, or maybe even a pandemic to render all that sacrifice meaningless. The number of riches to rag stories that you can find online is a lot. And uh, I think that's just increasing right now during this crazy time. I'm sure many of us today are also experiencing this painful truth. Uh, and so, we, we know that we can't put our hope in wealth alone. We can't put our hope in wealth to give us the security that we need. First, first Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 puts it this way. Uh, Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. And Proverbs chapter 18, verse 11 says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. And so wealth can often bring us this illusion that we are secure. It gives us this illusion that we can put our hope in it. But wealth can ultimately only bring us a false sense of hope and security because it can just be gone with the wind uh, at any time. Also, wealth is insignificant in what truly matters, in spirit and in eternity. As followers of Jesus, we live for more than this world. We live for more than uh, our time on this earth. And our hope is in God and in eternity with Him In heaven, that's what we look forward to, but the pursuit of wealth is so hyped up in this world that it distracts us, and we often get distracted from the the most important thing, which is God, our souls, and eternity, and we hype wealth up to be the most important thing in this life. Uh, In the parable of the sower, in Mark chapter four verse nineteen. Jesus describes the deceitfulness of wealth as part of the thorns that choke the seed of the word and makes it unfruitful. So you know the, the, the seeds that goes on the ground and then the, the different seeds, uh, what happens to them? One of those group of seeds is choked up by thorns, and which represent the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. And so we can be like that. that when we hear the word of God, uh, we are so caught up with the, the worries of this life and, and uh, the pursuit of wealth that we become unfruitful. Uh, the word of God becomes unfruitful in our lives. And to the church in Laodicea, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, John writes, You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked." Uh, Harsh, but what he's saying is that this is, uh, you think that you are rich, but actually, in terms of things that have eternal value, you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Uh, Solomon, Job, and even Paul wrote, uh, you come into this world without anything, and you also leave this world without anything. Naked you come, naked you leave. That's the principle. And so if you believe in God and you expect to spend eternity with Him in heaven, it only makes sense to invest more in what will last. Let me repeat that. If you believe in God and you expect to spend eternity with Him in heaven, it only makes sense to invest more in what will last your spiritual relationship with God in eternity, that will last. The wealth that you make in this life, as useful as it may be, as much of a blessing as it may be, will not last beyond this life. You cannot bring it with you into uh, eternity. And so there is no greater return on investment than to invest in the quality of your relationship with God than to invest in loving God and loving others. Lastly, wealth can be a barrier in our relationship with God. Jesus talks about not being able to serve God and money at the same time, complete of interest. And uh, the rich young ruler proves him right when he, he couldn't give up his wealth in exchange for following Jesus. And so that, that is Jesus' uh, teaching coming to life and being proven true. Paul also tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And so, when wealth and the pursuit of wealth, uh, with, with it comes many, many temptations, with it comes many, many things uh, that make it difficult for us to walk right with God. Uh, it often tries to grab our attention, it often tries to uh, become the most important thing, and often it becomes an idol in our lives, and it affects, it becomes a barrier in our relationship with God. Now, let me give you a quick illustration. Imagine that, okay, so hold up up your finger in front of your face, okay? Imagine that your finger is God, okay? Now hold up your hand in front of, uh, next to the finger. Okay? Now imagine that your hand is money.? Okay. So look at your finger.? Okay. Now look at your hand. Okay. Now concentrate on your hand and Im- examine the, the lines on your hand.? Okay. And then you wanna, you want to look for the fingerprints on your hand and the, the hand prints, and all the tiny, tiny lines. You want to have a real good look at it, okay? if you can notice, when wealth and money becomes our focus, God moves out of focus. When we become so consumed with money and, and everything to do with it, we lose sight of God. So as you can see, living for wealth is more of a curse than it is, for, uh, than it is a blessing. Living for wealth, so if your life revolves around money, it brings more curses than it does blessings. And so what then should the, the position of wealth be in our lives? What is, where is the sweet spot? Now well, firstly, our wealth and the pursuit of wealth should take a backseat to trusting in God for our sense of worth and security. And so we need to put our hope and trust in God for our sense of worth, for our hope, our security. If we say that we trust God to give us our identity as his children, uh, it means that we don't need wealth to make us feel important or significant. If we say that we trust God to provide, it means that we don't need to obsessively pursue wealth out of fear of not having enough. And so. We need to put our hope, put our trust, put our security in God and not in our wealth or the pursuit of wealth. Secondly, we need to pursue contentment. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18 says, This is what I have observed to be good, that is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labour under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot." In other words, finding contentment in having enough. We may think that we are not pursuing extravagant wealth, Okay, we, we just want to be you know comfortable, uh, just rich enough, we don't want to be obscenely rich. But my question is, when are we ever rich enough? As we saw in verse 10 of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, whoever loves money never has enough. Uh, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. So enough, you, you will never reach enough if what you're pursuing is wealth and you love money. Once money is our end goal, biblical wisdom tells us that we will never have enough of it. We will never get enough. On top of the many passages that tell us to be content with what we have, uh, I'm I'm not going to go through all of them, you can look it up on your own. Uh, In the Lord's Prayer, what do we ask God for? We ask God for our daily bread. We ask for our daily provision. The prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, the model prayer, is to ask for daily needs necessities, not for excess. God promises to give us enough for what we need and we would find great joy if we were able to find contentment in what we have. Verse 20 tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 that God will keep us occupied with gladness of heart. And by the way, that extends to your family as well. This whole area of being content with what you have extends to your family and not just to you. You may say that you want to provide for your family, but if God isn't obligated to provide for you in excess and in luxury, then your provision for your children and your family uh, likewise doesn't have to be in excess or luxury as well. You can't outperform God. right? And so yes, we want to give as much as we can out of love, but it shouldn't be at the cost of other important things in our lives, like our time and our energy for God or others.